2019, we began the year declaring and believing that 2019 is the year of Jesus' victories in every area of our life. And we are already starting to see and experience uh, many people, Jesus' victories in different area, areas of their life. And, and so the scripture that we, that we really have turned to for the year, um, if, if you've noticed, we've, we've probably quoted this scripture almost every week so far this year. It's because we, we want you to not only get it in your head, but get it in your heart get it in your life, and experience it is out of Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. In fact, if you can throw the scripture up on the screen, um, and if we can read this out loud together, but before we do, I just want you to know that uh, first service, the, the second time we read this, um, they read it with a lot of gusto. They read it like they just didn't wake up a half hour before and got to church just in the nick of time. They read it like they've been up for hours, like they drank three cups of espresso, and they were Latino, so they had a lot of fire and salsa on the inside of them. But that was on the second try. So on the first try, we're going to read this out loud. We are going to read it with life, with zest, with salsa, with a little bit of Latino fire. And, um, and so let's read this out loud together. And let's, let's read it with great, with, great, uh, with great joy. Verse 17, let's start. The Lord, victory, and is always, he celebrates and sings because of you, and he will refresh your life with his love. Come on, let's thank God for his word. That's what we're believing God for you, for every person for every individual, for every family, we're believing God for Jesus' victory in different areas of your life. And so we started, um, we started a victory series called Guard Your Heart just a couple of weeks ago. And, um, and so the anchor verse for this series is Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. And so if you can go ahead and turn there, go and turn to Proverbs chapter 4. Uh, turn to Proverbs 4 and then put a bookmark in Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Proverbs is in the middle of the Bible, and Ephesians is in the New Testament towards the, uh, the end of the Bible, after the Gospels, and it's one of the epistles, Ephesians chapter 1. Just put a bookmark there, or if you have a ribbon like my paper Bible does, then put your ribbon there, but open up to Proverbs 4. If you're using a smart device, then click on Proverbs 4. We're going to start there in just a moment. But we began this series, Guard Our Heart, and the anchor verse, Proverbs 4, verse 23, here's what it says. Above all else, of top priority, first importance, before anything else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. When we began this series, the first message was entitled, Guard My Heart. And we talked about the responsibility that all of us have of guarding our own heart. We talked about how there are things in life that we all guard, that we safeguard. We guard our finances. We guard our relationships. We guard our children, some of us. We guard our homes. We guard our cars. We lock them. We guard them. And yet the Bible says that above all of those things, and some of those things are extremely important, that above all of those things, we're to guard our own heart. And we learn that the reason that is, is because the Bible says that the direction of your life 
will be determined by the condition of your heart. In other words, if you have a broken heart, you'll lead broken lives. If you've got a wounded or hurt heart and it's not ever dealt with, you'll lead a wounded and a hurt life, not only hurting yourself, but hurting others. Conversely, if you've got a whole and healed heart, you'll lead a whole and healed life. You'll bring healing to those around you. And so the heart is extremely important. And during that first message, we talked about the priority of the heart and the protection of the heart, how to protect your own heart. Last week, we talked about protect, uh, guarding their heart, guard their heart. And we talked about the people in our lives that God has placed in our lives that we, we have influence in. For some of us, it's our spouse or our children or our immediate family. For some of us, it's, it's a friend that God has placed in our life that we've got influence into their life. And we talked about how we can guard their heart. That yes, they're the guard their own heart, but we play a part in either speaking words of healing or speaking words of hurt into people's lives. Because we grew up with the phrase, sticks and stones will break your bones, but names will never hurt you. Well, they lied. Words either bring life or they bring death. And so we talked about that last week, and, and we ended the time together, especially praying for people that feel like they, that God needed to heal their heart. And we saw many people uh, just, just receive such great ministry, not only for our prayer team, but from God himself at the altars. Today, I want to talk to you about guard our heart. Guard our heart. And I want to move the responsibility of guarding the heart into a much broader picture and talk about us as a church family. Because you may not be aware, I think all of us are aware that when we were born, we were all born into a family. Even if you uh, didn't get to know your biological mom and dad that you were born into, the truth is all of us were born into the family of Adam and Eve. We were all born into a family. And in that family, you also had a spiritual father. His name is the devil, Satan. When we're born... In the same way that none of us chose our biological daddy, none of us chose our spiritual daddy. It wasn't our choice. Adam and Eve made that choice for us when they decided to disobey God. And when we were born, we were born with a spiritual father and his name is Satan. But when we're born again, we're born into the family of God and we change parentage. We go from Satan being our father to God being our father. And I don't know if you know this yet, but our dad is a good, good father. Let's go ahead and thank him for just a moment because he's that good. And so when you're born, you're born into the family of Adam and Eve. But when you're born again, you're born into the family of God, and God is your father. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says it like this. Now, therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household or family of God. When you're born again, 
You may have grown up and you were the only child. You were the only, you, you were the single child. You grew up with no brothers, no sisters. But when you're born again, you get introduced into a family where you've got millions upon millions upon millions of brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ when you become part of the family of God. Ephesians chapter 1, I asked you to put a bookmark there. Let's go ahead and turn there. Verse 5, I love the way the New Living Translation puts this. It says this, God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. And so here we are, we're family, and if you know anything about family, there is no perfect family. Everybody has the crazy Uncle Joe or crazy Aunt Sam. All of us have, you know, different things happening in our family. No family is perfect. In fact, all of us have at least a little bit of dysfunction when it comes to our families. The same is true for the local expression of the family of Christ here at Victory Christian Center because none of us are perfect. But the importance of togetherness, the importance of what you're doing this morning in coming together is so powerful and so important. I remember that, that I really understood this when I took my first trip to Africa. I went to the nation of Tanzania and I experienced one of my bucket list items. I went on an African safari. And I remember the missionary telling us, hey, tomorrow we're going to go on safari and we're actually spending two days there. We're going we're to take a safari for two days, and, but we're spending the night there. I said, spending the night where? <laughs> he said, at the national park. Are we staying in a hotel? He said, no, we're not. I said, where are we staying? And he said, a tent. So we're staying in a tent where all the animals are. Yes. What he didn't tell me when I got there was that the tent was about as big as this stage. It was elevated about 20 feet up from the ground, wooden floors, had a bathroom with a shower in it, two queen-size beds. Listen, we weren't camping. We were glamping. <laughs> and there we are, and we spent two days on safari, and and my first time, and we, the first day we get there, we, we jump into Jeeps. A group of us, we j jumped into the Jeep. And one of the things that I thought was odd was that we knew we were going to see all of the animals that we wanted to see. The giraffe, the elephant, the zebra, everything. The hippo, the rhinoceros, and the lion. The lion. But I was confused because the Jeep that we got in, it had no doors. It was all open. And I guess the tour guide realized that all the first timers, their first thought is the first thought that I had. You, you mean we're going to see predatory animals like the lion and our Jeep has no doors? Because as we get in the vehicle and we start off on the trail, the first thing he says is you probably noticed that our Jeep has no doors. And I'm thinking, uh-huh. And so he begins to describe really the only animal that we have to be concerned with, and that is the lion. And he says, you might be thinking that you're unprotected in this Jeep without no doors. And he says, you have to listen to me very carefully. You will be safe as long as you stay in the Jeep. 
as long as you stay in the Jeep. Well, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's not, that's not a problem. It's not me staying in the Jeep. It's the lion staying out of the Jeep. That's what I'm concerned about. You know, I grew up on the south side of Youngstown. I ain't messing around. I, I don't touch any animals. I mean, you know, some of you, you skin stuff. You hunt stuff. I don't do any of that. I'm like, I mean, if you want to take me out, uh, you know, I might shoot it. But I, I mean, I just don't like, you know, I'm not getting out of the Jeep. And so he begins to describe the way a lion operates and the way that his eyes and how he vi visually sees things. And he says, here's why it's important for you to stay in the Jeep. Because a lion, when he sees the Jeep, he cannot differentiate the individuals in the Jeep. He only sees one big animal that has four wheels, 10 heads, 20 eyes, 20 arms. That's what he sees, one big animal. But the moment you step out of the Jeep because you want to pick a flower, you want to pet the zebra, you want to see the cute little animal all by yourself, that's when you're in danger because you're outside of the group, outside of the Jeep, and the lion, all he sees is one cute little animal with one head and two eyes and two scrawny little arms, and you're done. Well, the Bible says that that's how the enemy prowls around. He prowls around like a roaring lion. The Bible doesn't say he is a lion, but he takes on the hunting characteristics of a lion, looking for someone to devour. And who is he going after? He's going after the loner. He's going after the isolated one, the one that gets out of the Jeep and out of the group and tries to do it on his own. And so how many thank God that when he called us, he didn't call us by ourselves or to live life for ourselves, but when we're in the Jeep, in the family of God, we're greater than just one individual, that we're bigger than all of that, that not only do we have God, but we have each other to stay safe. And so I want to talk about how do we guard our heart? How do we expand the guarding of the heart to include those that are part of our local expression here of the body of Christ at Victory Christian Center? Because could it be that God has also called us to guard our heart as a church, to guard our heart? And so I want to share with you three things about guarding our heart. There's so many things I could share on this. The Bible has lots to say on how we live together in community, but I just want to highlight three things, and if you can go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew, that's the first book in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 13, we're going to read verse 44, just one verse, Matthew 13, 44, it's on the screen behind me. Here's what the Bible says. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. If you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus would make this statement from time to time that the, that the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God is like, and he begins to tell us what it's like. In this verse, he's saying that the kingdom of God is like treasure hidden in a field. That when a man found the treasure, he bought the field because of the value of the treasure. 
And if there's, if there's anything that you and I need to do to grow in guarding our heart as a church and living in community with one another, here's, here's the first thing I want to give you. And so if you're taking notes, go ahead and write this down. If you're not taking notes, it would be a great idea for you to write this down. Here's number one. Be a treasure hunter. Be a treasure hunter. 2 Corinthians Chapter 4, verse 7, just write that verse down on your notes. It says this, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. In other words, every person in this room, every person watching me online, we all have a treasure. We all have something of great worth and value on the inside of us. We all have a treasure. But listen to me, all of us also have a field. The treasure is hidden in something made out of clay, made out of dirt, made out of a substance that is not of value. We all have a treasure, but we all have a field. I have a treasure, you have a treasure. I have a field, you have a field. In fact, go ahead and touch your neighbor and tell them, you have a treasure. Now tell them, you also have a field. Now what's the field? The field is the dirt. The field is the junk. For some of us, not only do we have a field, but we've got spare tires in that field. We've got overgrown weeds in that field. For some of us, the field is messy. But listen, all of us have a treasure. All of us have a field. In fact, if you read the book of Timothy, Paul tells his young spiritual son, Timothy, that in his church, in a great house, there are vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor, vessels of gold and silver and bronze, but also of wood and of clay. What's he talking about? He's saying that in a great house like this house, Victory Christian Center, you've got people coming that are on different levels in their journey with God. There are some of you here and you're a golden goblet. You are a treasure. God has been in your life for so many years, and you, we could just see your treasure as soon as you walk in the door. But then other of us, we're a styrofoam cup, and then we have everything in between. But here's what God's word is saying, that in a house like this, we're gonna have everything. We're gonna have gold cups, silver cups, bronze cups, and wooden cups, and styrofoam cups. But don't get it twisted. We all have a treasure, but we also, have a field that we all come at this in different levels on our journey with God but every person important why because we all have a treasure but we have a field Juan Rivera has a field I've got dirt I've got stuff in my life that you may not see it but those closest to me they see it you know when you're dating when you're just going out you know, with, mis- with mister and with, with sister and you're going out. When you're first dating, all you see is the treasure. That's all they bring to the date. That's all they show up with is the treasure. 
We walk away on our first date thinking they're Mr. Wonderful. She's Mrs. Perfect. There's nothing wrong with them. They're just the greatest thing. You know why? Because all you see is the treasure. That's all you see. But go ahead and get married. You'll still realize that Mr. So-and-so has a field. He's got a big, bad, dirty field. And, it, and the grass needs cut. And the flowers and the weeds need picked. He's got junk in the field. Why? Because all of us have a treasure and all of us have a field. This church has a treasure, but this church also has a field. You come in, and I know for the first month you think this is the greatest church. There's nothing wrong here. We're perfect. You stick around long enough, and you'll begin seeing our field. And the biggest question you have to ask yourself for us to guard our heart is this. Will I be a treasure hunter or a field inspector? And I'm challenging you to be a treasure hunter. It doesn't take a person with great discernment and prophetic eagle eyes to see the dirt in people. Anybody can see that. But it takes somebody of great character, somebody that's invested in guarding our heart to see the treasure in people with fields that is overgrown and there's so much junk in their life. But it takes somebody of great character to be able to say, I see the gold in you. I see the treasure in you. That's why I'm here today. That's why I'm here because there was someone in my life that says, yeah, well, I see the dirt. It's very glaring. I see the field. But there's treasure in you, son. There's something in you that although others might miss, I see it in you. Let's be people that are treasure hunters. We're not pointing out the faults and focusing on the small stuff, but we're calling up the gold on the inside of us and seeing the treasure that God has put in us. Go ahead and give God praise for just a moment. Are you a treasure hunter or a field inspector? Be a treasure hunter. Be a treasure hunter. Be someone that sees the gold in people. Bishop would say like this, See, see, when you meet somebody, make sure you see a 10 on their forehead. And never treat someone based on their worst day. Philippians chapter 2 verse 3 says it like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, what's humility mean? It means this. It's going from here to here. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Verse 4 says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. How do we guard our heart? Through humility, considering others around you better than yourself. It's living life with others in mind. It's living life not just consumed with self. And the way that we guard our heart is that when you walk in these doors during a victory celebration, whether you go and be a part of a small group, a community group, whether you join us during our church-wide prayer time on Wednesday nights at 6 or our victory nights at 7 on Wednesday nights, that when you come, you come in and you're there. You see people. You don't just look past people, but you see them and you consider them better than yourself. 
Imagine what that would look like. Imagine the staff where we're operating in the staff where I'm looking at a pastor and saying, you're better than me. There's something in you that's greater. But then he's reciprocating it. He's lifting me up. Imagine a culture, a place where we're lifting each other up through honor. We're valuing people. We're seeing the treasure in people. We're seeing the gold in people. I want to go to that church. I want to be a part of that family where people aren't just pointing out the dirt because there's plenty of it. That's easy. But they're seeing the treasure. They're seeing the gold. And they're doing that and living that. Somebody give God praise for just a moment. God's good. So that's number one. Be a treasure hunter. Here's number two. Number two is simple. Challenge each other. Challenge each other. So not only be a treasure hunter, look for the gold, but challenge each other. Let's give each other permission to challenge one another. Here's what Proverbs 27, 17 says. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. For some of us, we already have people in our lives that makes this easy. Because they're challenging. They're challenging. And, and they rub us. We, we say they just rub us the wrong way. But you know what? We can't get rid of them because they're a friend. And often God will introduce those kind of folks into our lives. If you don't have one, maybe you're it. Because iron sharpens iron. And God is wanting to work some things. We challenge each other. But then there's also the place in a great family like this, the way we guard our heart is by challenging one another, challenging each other to grow challenging each other and looking at each other when we're going through a tough time and saying, don't give up. God's got something more in this situation. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't quit. Challenge each other to grow. It's calling each other higher. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says it like this. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. He's saying as a family, one of the ways we guard our heart is when we build each other up. How do we build each other up? When we challenge each other. I love having people in my life, in my inner circle that challenge me, that, that draw me higher, that draw me deeper into the things of God. I don't want to be around people where I'm the smartest one in the room and I'm the one that, that's got it mostly together. No, I want to surround myself with people that challenge me, that call me higher, that says I can do more, I can be more, that when I look at their life, I say, oh my God, I've got to step it up. And we challenge each other in this room. We challenge each other. Hebrews chapter, tw- chapter 10, verse 25, it says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day of the Lord, his return, approaching. Isn't that interesting? Let us not give up meeting together, but let us encourage one another. Why is that important? Because listen, as followers of Jesus, we are not exempt from, in fact, we are subject to discouragement. That there's not a person here, no matter how long you've been, you've been following Jesus, there's not a person here that has never experienced a season of discouragement. 
And so the Bible encourages us and it says, come together. And, and listen, it's interesting. It say, it's saying the meeting together. In other words, it's not just from platform to pew. It's not just from pulpit to pew, but from pew to pew. It's when you come together, when you have togetherness and you encourage one another. Because all of us go through seasons where we need encouragement. Either we are the one doing the encouraging or we're the one receiving the encouraging because life happens to all of us. What would it look like if we guarded our heart and when a brother or a sister needed encouragement, we were there because we experienced encouragement ourselves, but we don't have to go through seasons of discouragement and loss by ourselves or alone. God has given us a family. He is the father and we've got so many brothers and sisters that can come alongside of us and encourage us when we need it the most. Don't compete. Don't compare. Don't criticize. We don't compete with one another. We complete one another because we need encouragement. We need encouragement. Many of you will recognize this name, Carrie Shrugs. 1996 Olympics. And in that Olympics, the women's, the American women's gymnastic team only needed a score of 9.5 to win the gold for their country. Last person up was Carrie Shrugs, and she had one last event, the vault. And all she needed, she had two attempts, she had two jumps, and all she needed in any of those jumps was a 9.5, and the American women gymnastic team would win the gold. Some of you saw this event where she went ahead at the beginning of that long strip of the vault and she took off running. And boy, those little short legs ran fast. She hits the springboard. She twirls in the air, pushes herself off with her arms from the vault, does some more twists and turns, but in the process, her ankle twisted and she landed poorly and fell to the ground. And as she's sitting on the ground, she is crying, holding her ankle, crying not just because of the pain, but of the realization that she has just cost her team the gold medal because she fell. And there she is in excruciating pain on the floor, and the hope of gold for the team is lost. And as she's sitting there crying, knowing that it was over, she looks over and in the corner stood Bella Caroli, her coach. And as she looks up and sees her coach, she sees her coach mouth to her, get up. You can do it. I believe in you. And through tears, she sees her coach encouraging her and telling her to get up. You've got this. You've got this, girl. I believe in you. You can do this. Don't focus on your ankle, on your pain. Focus on your coach and what I'm telling you. And you see, you, you, you see, you see little, little Carrie 
hobble up to her feet. And to the crowd's amazement, the judge's amazement, hobble over to the beginning of that strip at the vault. And as she's standing there, she looks over to the corner, and her coach is saying, you can do it. You've got this. I believe in you. And she takes off running. Not as fast as the first time, but she takes off running. And she hits that spring, and she gets air. Not as high as the first time, because now she's got less strength. And with all of her might, she pushes on those arms to get as much air as possible. She does somersault after twists, and she lands and grabs her ankle. But she sticks the landing with both feet and immediately grabs. And that's all she needed to do was to stick the landing with both feet. And she ends up getting a 9.6 and wins the gold for the American team. Why? Because there was someone in her corner that said, don't quit. Don't throw in the towel. You've got this. You can do it. I know you're in pain. I know you're suffering. I know it hurts, but you've got this. You can do this. And a moment, one of the greatest moments of Olympic failure became one of the greatest moments of Olympic history when a young girl stopped focusing on her pain and started looking at her coach and believed what he said. It reminds me of something that the Bible says in Hebrew chapter 12. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who goes before us and prepares a way. What am I telling you? I'm saying look to Jesus, the author and finisher. Look to your coach. You're in pain. You're suffering. You've got this girl. You've got this sir. You can make it. You can do it. Look to Jesus. But I can't see Jesus. That's where you and I come in. Because we don't know this, but sometimes and in seasons of our lives, sometimes you're the only Jesus that your brother and sister can see. And God set it up that way. What if we transitioned from being people that always wants God to answer our prayer and we became the answer to someone else's prayer? What if in a moment like this, when you, when you gather together, not just in the big setting, not just on victory nights, but in small groups and through relationship and going out for lunch or for coffee, calling that person on the phone, whenever you get a thought of them, encouraging them, what if we became the answer to someone's prayer? We challenge each other in the big areas of life. And then lastly, and we'll end with this, Number one, be a treasure hunter. Number two, challenge each other. Here's number three. Fight for one another. Fight for one another. I think sometimes as a church we get it confused and we think it's fight with one another. Do you know why fighting is a part of church life? is because we were born for a fight. 
We were born for battle. We were born with this offensive, forward-moving thing on the inside of us to tear down walls, to overcome, to take mountains, to destroy giants, to go after the things of God, to destroy the works of the devil. But when we're not living life on mission, we turn the fight inward toward each other. And the reason fighting is such a part of the church is because we were born to fight, but not fight with each other, fighting for each other. We were born to have a backbone that was strong and steel and go after things. And God has called us to fight for one another. What would it look like if we did that? If we fought for one another, the, the Bible says in Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. I remember when I was younger, I thought what I thought this verse meant was that friends are cool because a friend will love you all the time. But brothers or sisters, they just get on your nerves. All they want to do is fight. But that's not what this verse means. That's not what this verse means. This verse is saying, listen, if you've got friends, that's great. Because a friend will love you at all times. But there's someone in your life that when the going gets tough, when the battle starts, when a fight ensues, when the bully, sh when the bully shows up and starts to pick on you, that's where a brother comes in. That's where a sister comes in. Because friends will love you, but a brother or sister, they were born for the day of battle. They were born for when the enemy comes and starts picking on you. And we've got to be the kind of brothers and sisters for each other. That when somebody gets a report, that when somebody gets a diagnosis, that when someone's child is acting crazy, that when somebody wants to throw in the towel, we stand up beside them and say, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, we're going to fight this together. I've got your back. I'm not going to let you lose. You're not going to throw in the towel. We've got this. We're going to fight this together. We need each other for that. We need each other for that. You are like your father, the lion. We're lions. In the kingdom of God, we're lions. Jesus is known as the lion of the tribe of Judah. But the Bible says even young lions grow weary. And even a lone single lion all by himself, as ferocious as they may seem, sometimes it's not enough. Because sometimes the world, life, it doesn't come, up, come at us straight, just straight. It'd be one thing if it was just one thing. It'd be one thing if we're as lions walking around the jungle. It'd be one thing if it was just the lion versus one other animal. Sometimes we get inundated and we need help. In fact, one of the things that Deidre and I received when we came on staff here at Victory Christian Center, besides all of you, we also received 
brothers and sisters that you know as campus pastors. We get together regularly, and they're brothers and sisters. We're not just coworkers. We're not just campus pastors trying to compete with one another. No, we complete each other. In fact, one of them sent all of us campus pastors a video. And he sent the video and he said, this is how I feel about all of you. And this is how all of us need to live together. And I want to show that video to you. I think it'll bless you. Let's just go ahead and turn our attention to the screen and watch this video. As they mature, young males begin to explore the boundaries of the pride's territory. Red has ventured out alone. straight into the middle of the hyena clam. <laughs> He's trapped by over 20 of them. Hyenas could kill him. to fight them all at once. He can't keep them at bay for much longer. He's tiring fast. His ally, Tartu, has heard the commotion. hyenas. A pair of male lions is too much to take on. <laughs> Red is lucky. Come on. 
I don't know if you heard what the commentator said. But when his brother showed up, he said, now the odds have changed. You realize that no matter what you're going through, because of the people sitting in this room, when we're people that are treasure hunters, not field inspectors, when we challenge each other, especially in the big areas of our walk with Christ and not sweat the small stuff, and when we fight for one another, no matter what you're going through, the odds have changed because of this. And so I want us to go ahead and stand to our feet. All of us, let's stand to our feet and I wanna invite our prayer team to come and I wanna invite my wife to come as well. Here's what we're gonna do. As our prayer team is coming, those that help us pray. In just a moment, in about 60 seconds, my wife and I, we're gonna pronounce a blessing over all of you. And at the end of that blessing, we want to invite any person that needs prayer for any reason and opportunity to come and receive prayer. You don't have to be a member of Victory to receive prayer. You don't have to be a bad person to receive prayer either. You know, all of us need prayer. I need prayer. You need prayer. So if you need prayer for any reason, at the end of this blessing, we want to invite you to just come down any reason at all. It may be your health. It may be a relationship. Maybe your family, your finances. Whatever it is, we just want to pray with you. But especially if you're here today and you've not yet made the decision to become a part of the family of God. What are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Today is the day that you make that decision. Because God has made a way for you to become a part of his family through his son, Jesus. You couldn't do it on your own. No matter how good you tried to be, we're not inviting you to a new religion. We're not inviting you to just try better. No, we've already proven we can't. And so if you're here today and you're not yet a part of the family of God, then Jesus invites you to come and receive him as Savior and Lord of your life. And if that's you here today, then at the end of this blessing, you just come down and join all the others that are coming down to receive prayer. You come down too. And all you need to do is tell somebody on this team up here, I want to begin my relationship with Jesus. That's all. Simple. I want to begin my relationship with Jesus. And they'll pray with you but they'll also give you important resources that will help you take your next steps in your relationship with God. And so if you're here today and you wanna begin a relationship with Jesus, then you join all the others at the end of this blessing. You just get out of your seat, you come down, you let someone here know, I wanna begin a relationship with Jesus. And they'll pray with you and they'll lead you in the most important decision you can ever make in your life. Keep your eyes open. We're going to bless you now. And at the end of this blessing, you can come and receive prayer. Victory family, we bless you. We bless you to be treasure hunters and see the gold 
and the treasure in people's lives. May God bless you with eyes to see beyond the dirt. We bless you to challenge each other in the big areas of faith, to believe God for more, to believe God for greater, to not be satisfied with mediocrity or status quo Christianity, but to go after God and to experience everything that he promises in his word. We bless you to fight for one another, that God will put a courage in you and a desire in you to see others succeed and others do well and others thrive in every area of life and may you experience a Jesus victory and be an answer to prayer to someone around you in this room may God bless you and keep you may he cause his faith to shine on you may he be gracious to you and as you leave here today leave here as bold as the lion Leave here loving God, loving people, and loving life, knowing that God is for you and never against you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. We love you. Come on. If you want prayer for any reason, you come on down. We want to pray for you. Just come. Come quickly.